the stats that I've seen are quite significant, that those who work with a professional have a higher net worth. And why? It's probably because you are busy and you are emotional. And both of those things do not usually equate to wealth. I'm Lindsay, mom of two active boys on the West Coast and believe there's no reason for money to be ugly. I love helping busy moms make it pretty without using cash envelopes or coupons. I'm Megan. Me and my husband, we have four kiddos and I relate more to the dad role than the mom. And I'm an HGTV loving, oversharing finance nerd. Together we host the Money Stuff with Moms podcast. We understand the hashtag mom life but we also can appreciate the big picture adulting responsibilities like money. In this podcast, we invite you to be a part of our no fluff, fun conversations that will give you helpful on the go finance tips. Even if it's just a peek behind the curtains to hear about what we are doing with our money. Hey everyone. Thanks for coming to hang out with Megan and I. We are talking about investment products today. There's a million of them out there. We certainly will not cover, we're not even going to scratch the surface of what is available out there. Um, We just thought that we'd have a bit of a conversation about some of the most common ones, what you might already own, what you've seen on commercials and, you know, uh, the posters at the banks, what your friends might own. Because I find that a lot of people really just don't know what they don't know, right? Like, how are you supposed to learn this stuff? Um, and so we thought we'd chat about it a bit today. Um, what, Megan, we didn't, we didn't plan this out before we started recording, but like, what do you think is the most common product? The most common product, I think, is mutual funds. I think so, too. Because that is what is going to get recommended and suggested to you from your branch or in-house financial advisor. Yeah. And mutual funds have been around for a long time. I have no idea when they were invented or or started. I don't know the history of them, but they've been around for a long time, like parents and grandparents owned them. Um, So they've been, they've been here for a long time. And um, you know, in, in a nutshell, a mutual fund is a bunch of different investments all types of investments. There is cash in there, there is bonds, there is company stocks, um, all sorts of different things can be inside of a mutual fund. And a portfolio manager, a mutual fund manager, a a team um, manages what goes in there and what comes out, what they buy and what they sell. And each mutual fund has its own objective. One mutual fund, the objective might be something to do with global economies. Another one might be to do with, um, you know, small Canadian companies. Um, They each have their own objective. And that's how the team of people working on this fund, that's how they decide what they're going to buy. So like a Canadian fund isn't going to go and buy, I don't know, Asia. Asia country or company. Yeah. Um, The way that I like to kind of use the analogy for mutual funds is if you look at a grocery store, mm -hmm. you could buy the whole grocery store. So every single aisle, or there are specific aisles that are designated to canned goods, baking goods, produce. And that's kind of what a mutual fund does is it picks one aisle. I mean, Mm -hmm. 
when you see those names in front of them, there mm-hmm. are mutual funds that encompass the whole grocery store or maybe mm-hmm. a couple of the aisles, but it'll say like, this is the baking product mutual fund. We own our mandate is to only buy stocks and bonds within this designation. Mm-hmm. And so if there is a particular sector of the market or of the economy that you think is really going to do well, or you understand, then t- normal, that's why like a lot of Canadians hold a lot of Canadian mutual funds, because Canada is something that we live and breathe and understand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to say that you know, the Scandinavian funds, the Asia funds, the Europe funds are any better or worse. It's just, we don't understand them in the same capacity. Absolutely. Another thing about Canadian funds is they are almost always mostly made up by the five big banks. And uh, if you've ever checked out your fees on your bank account, you know that our banks make a heck of a lot of dough here. <laughs> we have some of the smaller worldwide banks because we have a small population, yet they're some of the most profitable on the planet. <laughs> so holding those stocks in a mutual fund is really great. And they're um, so if you look at Canadian mutual funds, usually the top 10 holdings is full of those, those five banks. So like Megan says, we, we know those companies, we see the fees, and we want a piece of the pie. Um, so a lot of people will will hold um, those mutual funds, and it's interesting. Like in a mutual fund, um, there's a lot of different people involved in a mutual fund. You need a mutual fund license to sell a mutual fund. Um, so there's the advisor selling it to you. Um, and then there's whatever structure above the advisor in a bank or in a, you know, investment office. Um, and then there's the mutual fund company who, well, actually there's another thing in between, but that part, um, we won't get into the weeds there. Then there's the mutual fund company. And in the mutual fund company, there's the team, like I said, that is making the decisions of buying and selling, but there's also like a marketing department and an accounting and tax department and all of these different departments. There's a lot of people that work at these companies. And the reason that I mention that is because all of those people have to be paid and that takes mutual funds to, you know, some of the higher ends of the investment fee scale. All those people have their own bills to pay and they have to be paid too. So um, Megan, have you looked at fees lately? What, what have you, what have you been seeing in mutual fund fees? Cause they have changed over the years. Yeah. So mutual fund fees will depend on what type of mutual fund it is. If it's a really actively managed fund, meaning there's a lot of changes happening. Um, People require to travel to the destination to do research on the companies, all those Mm -hmm. things, the fee is going to be really high. And then if they're more passive in nature, like for example, if the mutual fund is uh, an index type fund, then that one will not will be pretty low. Typically, mutual funds are just under two percent, maybe just over two percent, but they always hover around that two percent mark. I think. Yeah, yeah, and they've, I they have come I don't down. Really, I don't really think that the the rates have changed all that much. Like I was mutual fund licensed in two. Oh my god, two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, two thousand eight. Yeah. And then I switched over to a different licensing model, but 
um, I don't feel they've really changed too much in the rate component. See, I used to see them higher. I used to see lots of mutual funds between like 2.4 and 2.8%. Those are much less common. And like seeing 2.1, 2.3, 2.4 still happens. And then two and a little bit under two. Um, And so the way that the mutual fund fees work, it's it's quite interesting because a lot of people, A, they don't know what they're paying um, and B, they some of them don't even know that they're paying. So mutual fund fees come out of the pot. They don't come out of your account. <laughs> so if you read all the fine print, you will know everything you need to know about the fees. But um, the last mutual fund account I opened, the um, account opening form was 35 pages. Um, and so, yes, the information is there for you to read, but most people don't read through all 35 pages uh, when they're opening those accounts. So, um, the yeah, the, the fees come out of the pot. So, yeah. you, don't, you don't know what they are. Like, you don't know what they mean to you right? right. 2.4% per year is not a dollar and cents value. Nobody even understands what 2.4% per year means to them. <laughs> right. So you might not know that you're paying. Um, and for, for those who are working with like an advisor at the bank, because you don't necessarily have that great relationship with the bank advisor. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who like kind of feel like a bit of a bother to their advisor if they have something that they think is a dumb question. Mm-hmm. But you're paying to have your dumb questions answered. You just don't realize it. <laughs> and sometimes it, it, it's also, you're not quite sure who your advisor is. Like if you don't have that good Always. reputation um, and there's, there is quite a map quite a high amount of turnover at Mm -hmm. branches. So sometimes you don't even know who you're supposed to be talking to, never mind the rapport with asking your question. Yeah. And and fees matter. So like, if you think, like, I know you were saying, like, it's hard to put a dollar and cent value to it. Mm -hmm. The way that you can also wrap your mind, because it is very difficult, there is no real dollar and cent, but the way that you can think about it is if you were to invest a hundred dollars and your investment made 5%, you should have $105 in there. Mm-hmm. However, the mutual fund always pays themselves first. Mm-hmm. So even though that investment might've made 5%, you're not gonna have $105 in there. You're gonna have $103 in there right. because they always took their 2%, which is gonna be $2 first. Yeah. Now, if that fund experienced years, like we've, we've had a lot of bumpiness in the last little while where the return is negative. So you put that hundred dollars in there. Let's say your return was negative 10%. Mm-hmm. Instead of having $90 in there, you're going to have $88 in there because they always take their 2%. They That's always right. get paid regardless on the performance of your actual investment. Yeah. And I, like, I try to remind people having others get paid on your account is not a bad thing. When Mm -hmm. somebody cleans your teeth, 
they get paid. When somebody gets your hair, you get when somebody cuts your hair, they get paid. When somebody is managing your money, they should get paid too. Depending on what the you know, there's lots of different fee structures out there. Um, so getting paid, like it's not necessarily the worst thing. <laughs> Actually, it's not the worst thing. I think it's just really important that you know what is costing you. Yeah. And I say to, um, to our clients all the time, like they see what they pay on their statement. We'll, we'll talk about those types of accounts later, but, um, uh, they know what they pay each and every month. And if they haven't talked to us in a couple months, guess what? They don't feel bad calling and asking a question because mm -hmm. they know that they have paid for a service. <laughs> it's a very different relationship. You don't think your dentist works for free. You know you're getting a service. So working with your advisor, your planner, whoever it is, um, them getting paid or the portfolio manager is okay. You just want to know what it is <laughs> and how it works so that you can make it, those decisions for yourself. Um, and with mutual pot funds in particular, because they take it out of the pot but of millions, and I mean like hundreds of millions sometimes these mutual funds that have been around for 30 years there is a lot of money in those accounts they're in those funds um that's where their fees come from they do not come from your individual account you get what's left mm -hmm. it's very confusing for somebody to know exactly what they paid mm -hmm. um they should be so if you look at your annual statements, I know a lot of us don't even open those envelopes because we don't either want to know or we don't care. Or we don't understand them once we do. Yeah. But if you do look at those annual statements, it shows how much fees you've paid. Yes. So if you look next time or log into your online banking and see you've paid let's say a thousand dollars in fees, it's really important to ask like, I'm paying this fee anyways. Am I really getting good quality advice? Mm -hmm. Am I taking advantage of the service that's in front of me? Mm -hmm. Because you're paying it anyways. You might as that's well awesome. take advantage of the knowledge you have in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Fees are not, fees are not the enemy. Um, you just want to understand what they are and make sure that you are getting value for what you pay. Yeah. Like anything else, right? You yeah, just, just like anything off. else, right. Um, there's nothing wrong with paying fees. It's just being aware that you're paying them and that you could potentially be making, you know, some really important connections in your life to be able to progress quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 The stats out there on like the, um, the net worth of people who work with financial professionals versus those who do it on, on their own. They are, the studies are out there and <clears throat> the ones that I've seen anyways, I haven't done a, a full research uh, project on this, but um, the stats that I've seen are quite significant that those who work with a professional have a higher net worth and why it's probably because you are busy and you are emotional. And both of those things do not usually equate to wealth. If you work with somebody, you carve time out to ask the questions and get the advice. Um, and you are, you know, most of us anyways, me, I'll talk about me. So I'm not uh, saying anything about you guys. Like I'm overwhelmed at the best of times. I'm not always making the best decisions. Um, and so working with somebody to help me make good decisions will benefit me over time. 
Um, mm -hmm. So I think, I think everybody at some point should work with a professional, if not always. And the only time that, you know, maybe you wouldn't is if you have the knowledge yourself, if you are going to go out and do the research and have the knowledge yourself, um, you know, the decisions between a TFSA and an RSP or a spousal RSP or a non-registered or an RESP, like how you make those decisions do have implications. And that's your planner advisor's job um, is to help you, you know, minimize your taxes, maximize your, your retirement uh, portfolio and cash flow. Um, those things can be hard to do on your own and to try to save one or 2% because you, you know, you just feel like it's, it's too much and then take it up on your own um, is often not the right choice for some people. It will be. And for some people it won't be. So don't, you know, don't get scared of, of fees, but, uh, but yeah, just make sure you're getting value. If you're going to pay something, yeah, if, get something in return. And if you are somebody who needs more hand-holding or mm -hmm. you do have a lot of questions and you do want somebody to just kind of answer your questions but also take over that that aspect of it like working with an advisor is totally a, even though there are fees it's the appropriate solution for mm -hmm. what your needs are at this stage of life mm -hmm. but there's also other products that are more that are lower in fees there's something called yeah. an etf which is Similar to a mutual fund, but more, I don't want to say less managed, but how would you compare ETFs and mutual funds? Robots and humans. Robots and humans. Okay. so ETFs Robots make better investment decisions a lot of the time. Not always. If you were to, to create, you know, an ETF investment, you know, made out of you open up an RSP, you picked three ETFs. Those are the three ETFs you're going to use for the next five years, let's say. Mm -hmm. And then you met with somebody once a year, you paid them on an uh, hourly basis and just said, help me make sure I'm doing the right stuff with my money. Mm -hmm. You know that their input's going to be on this. It's going to be directed at you. There's going to be no biases on the table because they're not trying to sell you something. They're just saying, based on what you've told me, it sounds like the portfolio makes sense. Mm -hmm. Or based on what you've told me, there's a little bit out of balance here based on your risk profile or whatever yeah. goals that you've mentioned. This doesn't make sense for you. Um, so that you know, throughout the year, you don't really have to make a lot of decisions. You're just going to keep doing what you're doing. The fees aren't there, mm -hmm. but you're having a regular check-in point with someone you know, like, and trust. Totally. Yeah. And so an ETF is exchange traded fund, and it is a fund to mimic the exchange. There's lots of exchanges out there. So, you know, the S&P 500, rather than in a mutual fund where we have a team who creates an objective like the baking aisle and then chooses what baking aisle, it's a little bit different. This aisle is the S&P and it just buys the whole thing and it mimics what is on that exchange. Mm -hmm. um, if we look like the, the, the exchanges like they go up over time. They're full of good companies. Um, not all exchanges, I, I suppose, because there are, um, you know, there, there are some that, uh, that work a little bit differently, but, um, but in a nutshell, that's the difference. We're not choosing what is going to go into that particular ETF. It is going to mimic 
what is already there um, at that particular exchange. Mm -hmm. So because of that, there's a lot less human involvement, like all those people that I mentioned before that need to be paid. We're just yeah. mimicking so something that already exists. <laughs> yeah. So then that way you go from a 2% fee at a mutual fund with more potential support, not always yeah. real support, but potential support. Mm-hmm. And you go from 2% down to 0.35%. That's right. Yeah. Hey, mama. I wanted to pop in quickly and let you know that I just released a brand new program called Budget for More. It's the complete roadmap to setting up an automated budgeting system that will leave you with more. More time, more vacations, more fun, more wine. If you would like to check out this program, go to my website, lindsayplum.com forward slash budget for more. And if you want a discount on that program, I'd love to give it to you. There's a 50% off discount for podcast listeners. Use coupon code beta50, B-E-T-A-5-0. I would love to see you inside that new program to help you budget for more. Yeah. And the value of 1%, if you're making a decent amount of return and the based on the value of your portfolio could result in thousands of dollars a year in savings for you. So that you could pay somebody $500, $1,000 even to do a little checkup for you, give you some recommendations, do an, an analysis and some, some feedback to allow you to carry on for the next year. Uh, I mean, I'm showing my biases here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I agree that there's nothing wrong with mutual funds. Mm -hmm. I personally have owned mutual funds. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with them if you're getting the service that you're paying for. So I, at one point, had an education savings account um, held at my last firm I was at. I held that RESP for probably five years within that environment. I paid, I mean, it would grow every year because the mm-hmm. ask the portfolio would grow every year, but I would probably be paying about $2,000 a year in fees, mm-hmm. which I have no problem doing mm-hmm. if someone is at least annually checking in on me, making right. sure that I'm invested in the right stuff, reaching out to me when my portfolio grows or my portfolio shrinks just letting me know i'm here i'm checking on it i got my eyes on your account no worries yeah that never happened yeah. not, not one time in five years did someone reach out to me say hey did you have any more kids Is, how are the things going what do you you're on track you're off track yeah not one time yeah yeah you just have to get value right that's that's what yeah. it's all about like how we do things is we're, we're a bit of a hybrid that most of our clients uh, choose an ETF portfolio. Um, and then where, where the value in their fees come in is in those meetings and that advice and having somebody to call or email when something comes up, they get a bonus and they're not quite sure what to do with it. Um, and every firm or advisor or planner is going to have their uh, services structured a little bit differently. Um, you know, for, for us, um, we, 
are adding in like coaching and insurance and that planning aspect, right? Um, and making sure that we're reaching out to our, our clients, staying in, in touch with them so they are getting value for the fees. Um, it is really quite uncommon um, for all of those things to happen. Um, and it is the... The landscape is changing. Don't get us wrong. I think that we are seeing more, um, more people offering uh, lower fees and higher service um, because that's what the market is demanding. Um, but uh, the thing with, with ETFs is working with a traditional advisor, like at a bank or, you know, um, some of the firms that have been around for a long time um, that you might know the names of, they, they don't typically offer ETFs. Sometimes they do, and they are more and more um, offering ETF or ETF-like products, um, yeah. but that's not their that's not their bread and butter, right? They're still going to mutual funds. Um, so for a lot of people, buying ETFs means going it alone. Um, and then finding somebody like Megan can be difficult also, right? Like Megan being a fee-only advisor who will uh, talk to you about a portfolio like she was just, uh, and, and you know, retirement plan, um, like she was just describing. Those people are less common out there um, because they are the ones who have moved away from the big companies. They're the ones who are out there going it alone, doing it, doing it in that way. Um, so they're, they are less common um, and, but if somebody, you know, really enjoys buying their own stuff and just wants a little check-in every once in a while, um, or in the case of Megan's clients, they have, you know, probably some, some stuff like ETFs, but they also have a big um, uh, real estate, you know, side to their portfolio. You can't, it's really hard to find somebody inside of an institution to help you with your real estate because they don't get paid unless you buy their mutual funds. So they don't want to talk to you about your real estate choices and, and retirement plan. Um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't serve them and it's just not part of their, um, part of their model. Um, so finding somebody who offers like what you are looking for. And that's why Graham and I decided to, you know, run a, I always call it a hybrid model of low cost investments plus advice and support. Um, because most of my, you know, my crazy busy mom crowd, um, even if they have an interest and they want to do it on their own, um, they, they're not at a time in their life that is optimal, <laughs> yeah. right? They're just like, they're busy and they're doing other things. And to know that you can call the same person yeah. a couple times a year, <laughs> They can look up the notes and remember who you are. Like all of that is like, that's where the value comes in to yeah. choosing somebody that you're, that you're going to pay a fee to and work with. Yeah. And to give you that confidence that the product you have in the accounts that you've decided to open are the right fit. It's really challenging too, because if you have questions and you aren't in an engagement with somebody. So whether it's like mm -hmm. a hybrid model, like um, you guys at Moolah, or it's a consulting arrangement with someone like me, or it's you've purchased the product, meaning you hold those mutual funds from that institution. So that gives that institution 
the check mark that they can talk to you. Because if I come across a friend or a potential, a potential friend, you know, like Mm -hmm. somebody who we don't really know each other yet, and they have questions for me, I really can't give them advice without an engagement because that puts us both in a liable situation. Mm -hmm. Same with the people at the bank. They can't really give you recommendations and solutions without you being that client to them because it's putting them at risk now. Because if they make a recommendation to you, they could be liable for not asking you all the due diligence questions. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's all about finding the the fit that makes sense for who you are in the stage of life that you're in. So if you're in a busy stage of life, um, maybe that path of least resistance is just the easiest way to go. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. Yeah. And for most products, you're not, you're not marrying them. You're not signing a big contract that says that you have to keep it forever. Um, right. With many mutual funds, less, less these days, but than before, uh, but many mutual funds, you, you have charges um, when you leave that mutual fund. And so sometimes you feel like you are locked in. You're not. Um, but it can feel like it because there's a fee to get out of it, right? Depending on when you purchase that mutual fund, like I say, regulation has, has changed a lot on those fees in the last five years or something. Um, but, uh, but it does still, it's still out there. Um, most of them, maybe there's an account closing fee. Um, that's really common. Um, So you may feel like you're locked in, but you're really not um, very rarely, unless you have a locked in product. Um, And so another one that we wanted to mention today um, was GICs. Um, And that's because that's a quick and easy product that you can buy like online with your checking account. (laughs) You can just go and, you know, quickly open it. Um, And for many years, um, I would assume this is the same for you, Megan, but for my market in my career, almost up until like up until, I don't know, maybe six months ago, GICs were like, oh no, don't buy those. Like, they're just, they're so low interest. Why, why would you do that? they're not that low interest anymore. There's actually some decent yeah. ones out there right now. Um, so depending on what people's risk tolerance and what their uh, time horizon and all those other, uh, you know, um, characteristics are, um, a GIC might make sense. So GIC is guaranteed investment certificate. Um, I can only assume that they used to issue some kind of certificate at the bank. Maybe they still do. I don't know. I've only ever bought them online. I think. <laughs> Um, but that's what they're called, the Guaranteed Investment Certificate. It's it's like um, it's like a savings account that is in the vault. You put it in there and then you leave it in there for whatever the agreed upon time is. Yeah. Some of them um, you can redeem early if you needed the cash. Um, that's not the natural design of the product. The product is to be locked in. Um, and so the ones that you can unlock, um, often you will like forfeit the interest, um, either partially or entirely uh, to get the money out. And some of them are just locked in. Now, the, the thing that I always want people to know about GIC is, is that when you open it, you make a really important decision. And that's what happens at maturity. 
there's like a checkbox on those account opening forms that say what you want to happen. Like, let's say you buy a 12 month GIC, you decide now what happens at 12 months. Does it roll into a new 12 month GIC or does it unlock and go back into your bank account? Mm -hmm. And when you check the box of roll it over because you think that this is a great product now. And so why wouldn't it be a great product in 12 months? Um, you can sometimes end up in a position where like 13 months from now, you're like, oh shoot, I missed that piece of mail that said mm -hmm. that it was maturing. I wasn't even paying attention. And now it's locked in for another 12 months, um, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. You just want to know what you're choosing when you open the account mm -hmm. right um yeah i've i've seen that so many times that they just did not realize that it was going to roll into a new one um and they had really wished that they had had access to to that money at the end um who knows what life is going to look like in 12 months right you might have something else that you want to do with that money um so yeah i don't know gsc's are gsc's are looking a lot better than they have in a long time. Yeah, I like GICs as a forced savings. Mm -hmm. So I use EQ Bank. Mm -hmm. There isn't that unknown about what the money's going to do. It always puts it back in your account, which is something mm -hmm. I like because I also found that it was really misleading when you didn't know to check that box and mm -hmm. then it would you'd spend four hours on hold with some customer service agent trying to make, to trying to unlock it because you mm -hmm. didn't want it to go back into a different GIC um, because the rates have been so good lately. Like right now there's a one year GIC at 5%. Mm -hmm. So if I have something going on in one year, I'll throw the money in there, make my 5%. I know I can't spend it. I've mentioned many times on here, I am a spender. So if something comes up and I think, oh, I'll just save for that other thing later. It's like, no, I can't spend that money. It was earmarked for something else and I'll throw it into a GIC. Um, but this also is the first time in my career I ever bought GICs. Yeah. Because it just, uh, you know, half a percent for two years just did not make sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. I would rather throw it into a high yield savings account, um, which even now those rates are still good too. Those are, like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're often quite similar, right? The savings accounts yeah. and the GICs, they're usually within, I don't know, one percentage point or something of, yeah. of each other. Um, the locking in is either the, the benefit or the drawback. Yeah. Right. And I think for some if you're people, Megan, it's a benefit. Yeah, so it it's a benefit. Away. she can't spend it. <laughs> I mean, in the moment, it feels like a drawback because I want access to it, but I know it's to protect me from myself. And mm -hmm. that's also something like as you get closer and closer to retirement years is shifting your money from something like in the market where there's exposure to bumpiness mm -hmm. to something like a GIC so that you have, you know, lump sum of cash available to you in retirement that you know is coming due, that wasn't subject to bumpiness. You, If you needed $10,000, you know it's going to be there. It's not $8,000, it's $10,000 because that's right. you weren't trying to draw money in a time when the market was down. Yeah. And so I mean, there that, are, go ahead. There's definite seasons of life where GICs make sense. 
absolutely. And mm -hmm. there's parts of your portfolio that GICs might make sense with, right? Mm -hmm. If you are somebody who has, um, you know, most of their portfolio in the volatile stock market type stuff, um, maybe you want to play that game and that's cool. But to balance out your portfolio, something like a GIC can be really nice. You know that this chunk is guaranteed. You know exactly what it's going to be in the exact amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you can do both. And I mean, the three products that we've talked about today, you can have all three. There is not a, you have to do things one way. Um, that is either your responsibility or the responsibility of whatever professional you're working with to talk about how your portfolio is coming together um, mm -hmm. and you know how you're how you're weighted, which side of the teeter-totter you might you might be on. Um, the one thing that we haven't talked about, but we have a whole episode on this with Michelle Hung, um, is stocks. And um so, you know, just to briefly touch on stocks, when you're buying stocks, you're buying a little tidbit of a company, right? A, a tiny little, little share of the company. Um, and as the company grows and shrinks, so will the, um, the value of your stock. You can buy them on all different stock exchanges all around the world, all different types of industries. Um, and the thing with stocks, this is where the saying of like, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket kind of come from. If your basket is, I don't know, uh, Facebook stock and all of your money is in there, then that's really volatile, right? Um, I haven't looked today, but Threads was just announced. So I'm really curious on what Meta's stock is doing. Um, so if that's the only thing I held, you know that I would have been up at whatever time in the morning to watch that um, because you're really in a, in a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A vulnerable place. And if you want to research the stocks and put together a stock portfolio, and um, like I say, we had Michelle Hung on, she's the uh, sassy investor. She's got, you know, great website and social media and she's written two books. Uh, she's a really great resource to learn about stock investing. And if you're the kind of person that wants to do that, then absolutely go for it. Um, that is certainly an option. But just know that that's how stocks work. You're buying a tiny little bit um, of a company and you can buy them with the, um, you know, with, with the big banks. You can go onto their, their trading um, side of their website and you can buy them there. Um, or there's lots of different, uh, different platforms um, like well, Simple Trade and uh, Quest Trade and what else? There's lots of them out there. So, and every bank has one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like there's, and all of them will have different fee structures. <laughs> uh, good, good luck trying to, uh, to compare because <laughs> they're usually based on number of trades and you, especially as a newbie, you don't know how many trades you're going to be making. So it can be quite difficult to compare one from the other. Um, but, uh, but I mean, that's stocks in a nutshell. Right? Yeah, I don't. And I think that stocks can lead to 
shiny object syndrome where now you're playing a game instead of investing and investing isn't gameplay investment should be strategic in a way Mm -hmm. but not something that you should be thinking about every single day yeah and I feel that when people it's um, it, you get a more emotional tie when you have those individual stocks in your portfolio where you do want you hear an announcement like this new app so you want to check the stock mm-hmm. whereas really your investment strategy should be based on long-term planning not based on short-term out of your control factors that are happening in the market very difficult to do very difficult to do um if we were robots it would be easy and we would just delete that from our algorithm Mm -hmm. um but the human brain is the element that has the most sabotage for your success when it comes to investing Mm -hmm. yeah such a good point and I mean, so if that, somebody wants to go and do the research and buy their own stuff, for most people, I find that like take a piece of your portfolio and you go do that. And that is the super risky and um, not not guaranteed side of, of your portfolio. Um, for us to put all of our money into a stock portfolio, um, man, that's, it's just so risky and it's so emotional. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, take $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 if you're interested in playing the game. Um, but it's, it's the, the uh, what did you call it? The, the shiny object syndrome. Um, yeah. It can be, it's like gambling, right? It can be addictive. When, what yeah. I love, <laughs> we're not talking about products so much anymore, but we're talking about, I'm mentioning that the people that own the products, oh my gosh, my favorite is the people with the stock portfolios who have done good this month or this year. And like, oh man, they are experts now when you talk to them. They know oh, everything yeah. about the stock market. Mm-hmm. I just find it so, so humorous. Like even the best of the best, like portfolio managers out there don't, you know, some of them anyways, uh, wouldn't claim to know it all because they know that there's so many factors that contribute. Um, but yeah, you find that, you know, friend who's done a bit of stock investing and now they know everything. They know all the hot stocks. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, they make me laugh. It can be, uh, it can be a tricky conversation for sure. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's so a I smile mean, and nod conversation. Yeah, I tend to stay out of those conversations. Um, and just yeah, smile and nod. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, a lot of that just mm-hmm-ing. totally because it's a moment, and mm-hmm. tomorrow it could have completely reversed itself. Yeah, um, based on factors that no one could have predicted. Absolutely. Investing is a long-term game. And so Mm -hmm. having a mix of everything, I think doesn't hurt having some GICs, um, some ETFs, some stocks, whatever you're most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Personally, my portfolio is only comprised of GICs, ETFs, and real estate. That is a hundred percent of my portfolio. I don't hold any mutual funds. I don't, I do hold, 
a couple individual stocks, but it was just because I did a fun project with my kids. If I hadn't have done that, I would not own them because I don't see any value in me spending time researching, picking the stocks, doing the buys, doing the sells, rebalancing if needed. It's just not a part of uh, my investment strategy that makes any sense. If I take mm-hmm. five hours doing research, I've now used up all my profit according to according to my own fake rules I've set for myself. Yes. Um, but if you see that as a hobby, which many people do, then mm-hmm. maybe it's fun and exciting and interesting. But for me, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in in research like that. Yeah. And we're the exact same. We're all ETF. Um, I think yeah. we may have one mutual fund left um, that we sold ourselves. <laughs> so the, the fee structure is not uh, not a concern in our case. Um, and individual stocks with our kids, same uh, same thing, little project. Um, so yeah, you know, and and. Um, uh, we count a bit of our a bit of our house as a real estate investment because of our long-term plans with it um mm-hmm. but i don't know but i don't know i i don't have the mental bandwidth to play around i'm maybe when i'm retired and i want to do some more i don't know it's just not it's just not where i'm at i don't want to do that no absolutely and i don't want to do that just follow the path of least resistance that's what i say yeah the last yeah. time i and thinking about it, worrying about it, considering my options, the better. Um, I think we've said this on probably every episode, but the worst decision is the decision to do nothing. So just doing something is better than nothing. And I mean, not that our portfolios reflect that, but over time, we've gotten pretty good at being really quick at making decisions that make sense for what, where we are, where we are right now and where we're going. Yeah. 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 And I mean, the biggest advice that I can give somebody, I think after do something, um, is to, you know, make that decision if you're going to do it on your own, or if you need advice and for people who are in the same phase as me, I would really recommend that you get some form of advice, find somebody like Megan who can come in for a one, you know, one-time conversation or an annual conversation about any products, um, find somebody like Mula who will be there for any question at any time along the way, um, and give you that support, uh, or, you know, find somebody to just do it all for for you on, you know, a a portfolio manager, um, they're out there too, but find the person that kind of matches the phase of life that you are in. Um, cause that's where you're going to make the best decisions where you feel supported. Um, you know, you don't feel rushed, you don't feel pressured. Um, you know, and you can, you can look at your options before making that decision. So hopefully that it was helpful talking about mutual funds and ETFs, uh, GICs and stocks, uh, shoot us a message. If you have any questions about those products or, uh, options out there, we would love to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us today. If you heard anything that piqued your interest, check out the show notes because we probably have some extra deets or links down there. Your homework for today. Go talk to someone about your money. Either your spouse, your kids, your coworker, or a licensed professional. And if you don't like those humans today, we're always talking in Lindsay's Facebook 
group, Black is the New Red. So join us over there. Head over to Facebook, type in Black is the New Red. You'll see so many amazing, like-minded individuals in there trying to get better, asking the right questions, supporting one another. We look forward to hanging out with you again on your next dog walk or while you watch soccer practice from the sidelines. Cheers.